Blog Talk Radio. This is Fanatic Radio, presented by 1-800-Flowers.com, America's premier sports music program. Back at it again for another exciting Friday. I'm your host, Mike Gardner. Join with me, the sports aficionado. Not the sports pope, more like the sports bishop, Ben Florence. <laughs> uh, thank you very much for the kindness. How's your week been, Flo? We have a very uh, exciting packed show coming up for you uh, in just a few minutes. we got... Uh, MLB baseball, the hunt for Red October begins, uh, some exciting news in the NFL, and some uh, some little bits and tippets from the uh, the FRPD. But Flo, how was your week in the nation's capital? The Nationals are in the playoffs. Their they're run for the World Series begins tonight. Yeah, that's right. The hashtag Natitude in full stock here this weekend right now as they're playing the Giants right now down in Nats Park and what is also College Radio Day. How about that? Yes, we love self. We love self-made holidays. Apparently, it was yeah. National Podcast Day earlier this week, which we did not celebrate, <laughs> as we are just on Fridays. Oh my! <laughs> with the yeah, but the Nats are playing. Exciting for uh, especially people in the the nation's capital and the Beltway, as both the or as the Orioles just. Drummed the Tigers last night. That's, that's probably a best way to start with our MLB playoff coverage, because uh, the National League they have the Nationals playing today, and then later tonight a marquee matchup between the defending pennant winners and the LA Dodgers. But for the American League, Baltimore Orioles came and woke up apparently, winning 12-3 against the beloved Tigers. Is this something for Detroit fans to be concerned with, that their best pitcher got just haymakered last night? And is Baltimore really that good of a team? Can they run the tables? Uh, I think it's been very interesting to watch this Orioles team. The very strong offensive club, but uh, Detroit definitely has the stronger starting pitching. But if the, the, the Detroit pitchers are going to get rocked, as uh, Serger, Scherzer struggled as he went into the game, and Chris Tillman pitched pretty well for the Orioles, that's going to be an issue for the Tigers. I picked the Tigers in the series because I think they're a uh, stronger pitching club, even though their bullpen is still a, consistently still a mess. And the offenses are, even although Baltimore has really raced uh, thus far, they played uh, game two earlier, and the Orioles won that as well. So the Orioles are now poised as a pair of strong hitting performances from their strong offense. They've been playing great baseball. Like, they're poised to now go to Comerica Park and sweep Detroit when they play next on uh, on Sunday. So it's the Tigers, even though they won – 95 games, uh, or the Orioles, I'm sure a lot of people thought maybe uh, maybe their time will be running out against the Tigers. Well, they're just 
get taking whatever they can get from the Tigers, and they've been playing great thus far. Yeah, even without Chris Davis, when you know when mm-hmm. when they came, when when the major league commissioner and the rest of and Baltimore Orioles suspended him for, evidently for the rest of the season. I guess hypothetically he could come back if the O's go to the World Series. Even without the home run ace Chris Davis, but they got Nelson Cruz. They're really you mentioned the great offensive uh, firepower. What is it about this Orioles team that pretty much demolished everyone in the AL East, including your Yankees? Well, I think the problem with all the other teams in the AL East was that they never, there wasn't really a whole lot of great pitching. Toronto started hot, but struggled. The Yankees never really got into it because they had issues with their rotation. Tampa Bay was shockingly never in the mix, although they kind of made a run. And the Red Sox were also in the mix. So the Orioles did take uh, advantage of what was a surprisingly mediocre division. But their offense has just been tremendous this year. Even, even with guys like Matt Wieters out, with, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Chris Davis out. Uh, but what's been key for them, it was a great pickup for them, was in the offseason they signed Nelson Cruz, who had had a dis- uh, disappointing end to his tenure in Texas, in your neck of the woods. And he's been, he's been, he was tremendous here, brought a lot of power to the DH spot for Baltimore. And today, he has some uh, key hits as well. So, these uh, pair of them. So, this uh, Baltimore team, is real, their offense is really raging right now. And now, the pressure is really on Detroit as the series heads back. They're going to have to, well, obviously, they have to win game three and just to stay alive. Yeah, and, of course, that game will be this weekend, but mm-hmm. another AL, another part of the ALDS that happened, uh, especially for many people in the around the uh, the Midwest region, was Kansas City's beloved Royals ride a wave of momentum, getting the wild card berth, first time in the playoffs since 1985, back when the immortal George Brett was playing, mm-hmm. and they come back against the Oakland A's in a storybook ending, down seven three, some great. Some great swings of the lumber, some great pitching, and now they're in the playoffs with a date with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim of West California of the Pacific Time Zone, and an eighth team that was the best in the American League, behind a team that we said last week finally got things to click with Pujols with Trout, and all of a sudden, the Kansas City Royals end up staving off the Oakland A's to take the first game. Flo, is this KC mm-hmm. team for real? Uh, you know, I was very much surprised. I did pick Oakland to win the wild card game, and I picked the Angels to sweep the Royals, so I'm looking really sharp with my predictions thus far. But what really surprised me with this Royals team is that they're being able to play the small ball because they, they're not a big hitting team. They're the only team in the American League to hit less than 100 home runs. But they're very aggressive on the base base path. They do get they play a lot of small ball. They're, as we saw against Oakland, they were bunting the hell out of the ball. And even though the pitching staff is a great, Jason Vargas pitched very well. Uh, or not Jason Vargas. Uh, pitching, they got very good pitching. They shut down an angel offense, which I thought was going to go to town for the most part against the Royals. And they got that win, a, a big game one win. And Anaheim last night. 
So in extra innings. So this Royals team right now, they're finding ways to win. They're not I they're not the best team by any stretch in the American League, but you can't beat what they're doing right now, which is doing the small things, getting a little bit of luck, and being able to pull out they've now won a couple of classic in a row, and it's really just been fun to watch. What team is if you were the baseball guru you are, who team is more concerned? The Tigers or the A's? Or the uh, the Angels? Well, I think the Tigers right now because well not only they've played their second game, I think the Angels they, they, they had their offense wasn't there last night, but I think that the their pitching, which I thought could be a question, actually held up relatively well. So I don't think the Angels I Still would take the Angels if you asked me right now to win, unless the Royals would tonight, which would be really shocking to me. But, you know, anything could happen in space. But the Tigers, I think, that they're starting pitching, which was, you know, they made a big trade for David Price. They have Verlander, Scherzer, Fister. It's a very strong rotation. And they've just gone to Camden Yards, which is not as good of a ball. Uh, it's a solid hitter's part but not as good as people make it have made it out to be. And the Orioles have just been raking. Fortunately for the Tigers today, their offense woke up, but it still was not enough. If the Tigers are going to kill in their rotation, going to be a problem for them because their bullpen has been a mess. So uh, it's, I would definitely be concerned for the Tigers, and now they're poised to possibly be swept a lot of people like myself thought they would win that series. Yeah, of course. The O's have proven they're a very good team. I think I'd be a little more concerned if I were the Angels, playing, devil, playing devil's advocate to, I guess, everything that you just said. Because the Kansas City Royals, as you mentioned, are, do not hit home runs and play small ball. I would be very embarrassed if I was on a team that lost to a team like that. Especially a Royals <laughs> team that many many years ago, and by many years ago I mean two, three years ago, was the laughing stock of the professional sports world. And I said a few years ago that them, the Jacksonville Jaguars, and the Charlotte Bobcats were were the biggest jokes of franchises. Now, the Bobcats (laughs) have made the playoffs and have changed the name. And the Jaguars are still making me look pretty good. But the Kansas City Royals, I always thought this was a team that would never amount to what they were. And to all the Kansas City Royals fans, I may have offended. I apologize because I'm eating crow right now because they're in the playoffs and have a one-game lead. I think with the Angels, because the Orioles are a very good team and have dethroned a Tigers team that, I wouldn't say limped to the playoffs, but didn't have the dominating performance like we have seen the uh, the Jim Leland Tigers of of, the, of yesteryears. So if I was the Angels, I'd be more concerned, because you, they had a, a very good year. They For the first time since they got all these contract deals and negotiations, they've had a dominating season. And now the Oakland Athletics aren't in the playoffs. They've been sort of, I wouldn't say upset, because the Athletics tanked and scraped into the playoffs. But Kansas yeah. City, they're they're the they're the underdogs in my in my opinion. And I would be more embarrassed losing to the Royals because that means the Royals would be competing for the pennant for the first time in over 30 years, which is ridiculous. Which now moves on to the NLDS and a game that is going on at San Francisco up 1-0 over the Washington Nationals. The Nationals, and Flo, you're in the district when it happened. What a great way to end the regular season than on a no-hitter and a diving catch, to say that, to say the least. Is that enough momentum that Washington needs? 
Absolutely. Well, absolutely. I mean, you can't ask for any team to finish off a season quite like that. And the fact that uh, what's great is that Denver was at a sensational, he's been sensational the last few years for this uh, Washington ball club. And but the fact that uh, Matt Williams, which looks like a very risky move, putting in a guy who only had played five games before as a defensive replacement in left field, and Steven Souza who Zimmerman didn't even know, and then Zimmerman gives up that what looks like it's going to be the hit, and I love the reaction when he was like, uh, and then he watched the catch, and he's like, yeah! <laughs> and then he made that sensational, Sousa uh, made that sensational diving play. I mean, what a way for that Washington team, a team that a lot of people, myself included, think may just be the top team in the senior circuit and, may, and could very well be the favorite, right? or at least a good favorite, to win the World Series. So, for a team like that, as they take on uh, the Giants now, uh, at this moment, San Francisco off top, bottom one, one nothing now. But this, uh, for a Washington club that, you know, they had a strong team two years ago, they didn't get out of the NLDS, there's now a little bit of pressure on this Washington team. It, you know, they faced a lot of criticism. They shut down Steven Strasburg two years ago. Didn't make the playoffs last year. This year, a lot uh, now people are saying this could be a team. And next year, it's going to be interesting because the NL East, which really wasn't very good at all, should be a lot better next year. So there's a little bit of pressure on this national team. But for the way that the regular season ended, you literally can't script that. Williams deserved to be a manager of the year in the National League. You have on the Beefalo 360 MLB Awards Bruce Bocci of the San Francisco Giants. How fitting that these mm-hmm. two teams are playing each other. Absolutely. You know, and it's interesting. Usually we think of, well, first off, the Giants are a team that every other year, when it's an even number year, they're always in the mix. And the last two years, they've won the World Series. They want this Giants team. We've known the Giants for being a strong pitching ball club. But their pitching wasn't even that great this year. They faced a lot of injuries, had to play a lot of guys. And their offense wasn't that stellar. But Bruce Bochy, who somehow has never won a, a manager of the year award, at least has it, I think it may have been 1996, and went for another tremendous job he's done. And if they be, get past the Nationals, you can very well make a case that, you know, with with how they're playing and how they easily dispatch Pittsburgh in the Wildcard game, they could uh, be a headache for whoever they play in the NLCS should they get past Boston or Washington. Of course, it's also the third inning of game one, and the other season, the series hasn't even kicked off yet, so maybe a little hyperbole. But still, I mean, San Francisco, you, what you got to do is to get in position right now and anything can happen, and they've done it yet again, ironically, in an even younger year. I think it's because the Nationals haven't relied on Strasburg. Back when he was the, the phenom and they shut him down, it was just major hysteria. And a lot of the players that the Nationals got in those past trades, guys like you know, Jason Worth, they're thinking, oh, is he worth the money? Or, but then all of a sudden players like Gio Gonzalez and Jordan Zimmerman come out of nowhere as good pitchers. The Nationals have a very good, which is very unnational like Usually this is a team that just throws away games for the sake of fans. But, yeah, I think, of course, it's very tough facing the Giants. And, I, and if any of the teams in the National League, I think this is the, not, I wouldn't say the easiest team, it's 
I think all four teams have the capability of winning the pennant. But it's not a very good draw for Washington because San Francisco had the lead in the NL West up until about August, September when the Dodgers overtook them. So they're very angry. And they they got in and they not only did not that not only did they make the playoffs and get the wild card, but they smoked the Pittsburgh Pirates. A team that many thought Andrew McCutcheon would be a, a a good favorite to win the MVP again, to lead the Bucks and the Jolly Roger back into the playoffs with all the hype and the entire city of Pittsburgh. They got pounded and then shut yep. out. And that's when you're like, okay, this this Giants team it might might see some gleams from 2011. And you know you got Buster Posey playing very well. You have Pablo Sandoval playing very well. There's a lot a lot of the core guys from those from that team of a few years ago have stayed consistent and they're and they're a very good team which could give Washington a lot of trouble. I think if the Natinals are able to win a game in Washington, but it's a very tough draw. Of course I do want to give a shout out to our school. Flo, you probably know a little bit more about this than I do, considering you are on the campus of American University. But what's up with the metro system? AU is not only just a school of wonks, but we are a school of nationals pride. That's right. You know, it's for the last couple of years now, the Nationals have, or the, the AU and the Nationals have had some sort of a marketing partnership. You had the, uh, the Wonk Challenge uh, at Nationals Park, you know, continuing our the beloved uh, Wonk campaign uh, from uh, our student body. And, um, but yeah, that's kind of for the last couple of years. You see ads for AU, and now for the second straight, or for the, the second time, the Nationals and Metro have teamed up with a business partner to pay for it should the Metro have to run later than when it closes, which means basically the whole Metro system is still or at least part of in that area so that people can get home if games end up going really late. So I think it's about $30,000 an hour, and there are times when the Nationals will be playing in the day. There will be times. I mean, they're only going to host a maximum of 10 home games with the, the NLDS, the NLCS, and maybe the World Series if they even get there. So this is a chance, you know, I've heard people say, well, uh, this is what we're paying our tuition for. Well, no. If they didn't do this, your tuition would have changed anyway. You're, nobody's tuition. <laughs> they're not taking it. It's not like they're hiking our tuition. And even if they would, it'd be by what, a couple pennies? Maybe a dime. So people just uh, have the whole thing, well, this is what our school is paying for, and that's ridiculous. No, they the, the budget for this way before and whatever marketing budget they have. So, But, of course, you get that snark. But, yes, the AU is going to be uh, helping fans, students, and just about anybody get home after late games in National Park uh, as well. Certainly an interesting thing, and I saw the uh, the announcement of it. We had Teddy, we had a uh, Claude walking out of the uh, the metro. Uh, we had a, oh boy. A, a we had a cast of I don't know ten people, including myself. I got on local TV. You can't beat that. I had to wear. A, uh, I was about to go to work, so I didn't even have my blue blue shirt, even though I ended up getting a uh, Chipotle free Chipotle thing out of it anyway. But I didn't even have uh, your boy Sherman was there. I didn't even have blue shoe, but somebody had it when I put a small on, which oh fits. no, it looked ridiculous. 
But, yeah, they, the whole thing was bizarre. They were like, oh, special announcement, call the Eagle, AU Metro, 11 o'clock or 11.15 on, on Monday. And I'm like, what, what the hell is this? And this is what it turned out to be. So not that many people showed up. But, hey, you know, there you <laughs> so I wish hope the Nats do well for continued exposure of American University, my proud uh, alum. And, yeah, so they're playing the San Francisco Giants right now. Uh, currently down on the top of the fourth, but don't don't sweat. As we have Strasburg on the mound, and anything is good with the, the eight golden ace. And with Bryce Harper. You know, it's funny. Looking at the Nationals, this is a team that was heavily criticized at the beginning of the season, when you know when we when we talked about it on the earlier shows of Fanatic Radio, say oh people are mad at Bryce Harper because he doesn't hustle. This is a team that doesn't want to be here. They're just gonna throw away the season like they did last year. And it's great that they're I think we're the best team in the National League, which is amazing. And we love them. We love the Nationals. As we, we now do. go to our final matchup, right. so it'll be tonight at six thirty, and it is a good matchup, a rematch of the NLCS of last year, featuring the Los Angeles Dodgers, winners of the NL West, and the always consistent St. Louis Cardinals. Now, it pitch it features a pitching line, a pitching matchup for the ages. Two titans collide. Two 20-plus win, winners collide. Adam Wainwright, who was the starter in the All-Star game against my boy Clayton Kershaw, 21-3 record, leads the, leads the league in ERA, for a clash of titans. Ironically, though, listening, uh, l- l- watching some of the games l- leading up to this, they were always previewing this matchup. Because we all love rematches. We love when history rewrites itself. But it seems like the Cardinals are the one team that has Kershaw's number. A 5.37 ERA the last time he has faced the Cardinals. That's right. But, you know, still, Clayton Kershaw, uh, your boy, as we always know. Uh, he's been the best player, not even the best pitcher, but the best player in the National League this year. He's been uh, godly good. So it's going to be key for the Cardinals. If he's going to start twice, they're going to need Matt Wainwright to win one of those games to win this series. I don't know if they can, but this is going to be – I do think L.A. is uh, stronger pitching, a little better offensively, but St. Louis was a team that really didn't get it going until deep, relatively deep into the season, when Milwaukee had their hot start, and then they almost, and then they gave that back. And of course, this is always fun to win these two plays because the, you know the Cardinals they have their annoying fans, the quote best fans in baseball. They went play the Cardinal way, they don't have fun. They play the right way, whatever the hell that means. And the Dodgers love to have fun. They got tweaked. They do bat flips, all that stuff. So when these two good teams go at it, such a contrasting uh, uh, series of philosophies, it's going to be fun. I like the Dodgers. I think from 1 to 25 or whatever it is, I think they are the better team. But I think the Cardinals can make it interesting. It will be key, though, that Wainwright uh, Kershaw matchup. If St. If Louis can grab one of those games, they'll have a good shot. Yeah, and now to clarify for the uh, the non baseball fans, it is best of five. Yes, which makes it even greater. Flo, you have the Dodgers in four. Yeah, that's St. right. St. Louis, though, it's amazing how this team is always in the playoffs, always at the head of their division. And I think now having, as I said last week, having Matt Kemp really helps the Dodgers and Puig. 
under his first full season as a Dodger, because last year he came about halfway and just really had no idea what he was doing. Now he's got a little more experience under his belt, a little more of a sense of what it truly means to go 182-plus games. And I'd like, I'd like to see. If Los Angeles can win, I think they can run the table and go to the World Series. Unless, of course, we'd all love to see a you know San Francisco, uh, L.A. Dodgers re, uh, matchup for the pennant. But of course, you can't leave out the Nationals. I don't know. If I think Kershaw has to win tonight. If they don't win, that that, that is your ace. That is your potential Cy Young, potential MVP winner. And see if you see him go down in the first game of this series, it could look pretty bleak for the Dodgers. That being said, Flo. We're looking at the B Flood 360 postseason analysis and picks. Flo has mm-hmm. the Angels in three. He finds a way. To, you, of course, you, you had you had the Angels sweeping. You still have the Angels now, possibly winning it in four. Uh, I I still do. Uh, maybe four, but I still think Anaheim is the better team. But you know, Kansas City, <laughs> Kansas City will outside. So let's, we'll see what happens. All right, and of course, Flo also had the t- the Tigers in four. Even after what the Orioles did to them, Detroit can they get it together? Uh, no, it's gonna be. Very, I I don't. I think they maybe. I think they'll win Game Three. I don't think they're gonna get to a Game Five and get back to Baltimore. I think they'll drop Game Four and go out four. The good news for the Orioles fans out there: Nationals in four, NLDS. Can the Nats mm-hmm. do it? I believe they will. I think they've just a team. They've got a good shot to win it all. It'll be the first time there's been a baseball World Series championship since the Washington Senators in 19, I want to say 1926. So it's been a long time for this town to see a baseball, a big baseball winner. So we'll see. And what's preventing the Cardinals for beating the Dodgers? Well, I just think that they're gonna, they're not gonna be able to grab a game from Kershaw. So I think that Kershaw is going to be dominant again. And I think that uh, also a deep uh, Dodgers pitching staff is just going to shut the Cardinals off up and down. All right. And speaking of the Cardinals, uh, interesting article from our good friends at uh, at Deadspin, who Mm. apparently, going back to Flo's comments about how San Louis thinks they're baseball capital of America and whatnot, the mayor of St. Louis wrote a interesting op-ed in the Wall Street Journal with the headline, St. Louis to America, Don't Be Jealous. Basically goes, <laughs> goes on to, to, I guess, explain and try to have some reason. And, of course, oh, Deadspin eats it up like Thanksgiving dinner. Flo, your response to this, having the mayor of the city make uh, just sort of vent via Wall Street Journal. You know, my uh, my good friends over at Mizzou, they had a radio show. They literally broke the, the piece down line by line because both of those guys, they don't like the Cardinals. And, I mean, you read this whole – you read the whole thing. It's just like, first off, the fact that you're writing this is why people hate it. Second, I mean, I I've never really well, I've I've fought in a sailor, so I've never really been there. But the guy, well, then he tries to say, oh, "I'm not boasting," but then he boasts about St. Louis, like, "Well, we've got you know cheaper, uh, you know, cheaper real estate than New York or San Francisco." But what does that have to do with the Cardinals? <laughs> people are angry. People are angry with the Cardinals because they win. 
They're not angry because they're jealous of the city of St. Louis. Or even that they're jealous of the team. They're mad at the fans who get so insufferable when talking about that team. They talk about, as I mentioned, the Cardinal way. They're, they they claim themselves to be the best fans in baseball. It's and every time it comes to it comes to this point in the season, they just get so insufferable. I mean, it's just comical, and that's why people hate it. The fact that the Mariners, they Lewis wrote this thing. So you read it, it's just it's so ludicrous. And some of the points he brings up is like. Well, uh, St. Louis has got a higher Bosnia population than anywhere else outside of Bosnia. Who cares? What has to do with anything? So the, the whole thing is ludicrous. Uh, there's uh, uh, Cincinnati. Uh, Francis Slay, which is a fantastic name, he really should just stop. This, this comes off like an angry rant on a message board, like on a Cardinals message board. So I think that shows how much credence anybody should give to this cat. Of course, more rants and more fun, more sports after this. You're listening to Fanatic Radio on Blog Talk Radio. It's Fanatic Radio. It's as good as it gets. It's the reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's colors. Fanatic Radio on Blog Talk Radio.
American Idiot by Green Day. FNAC Radio on Blog Talk Radio. Mike Gardner, Ben Florence, giving you a little throwback to the 2000s. Tell me, Flo, you were not obsessed with that song when it first came out. You know, it's, I, I can't even remember when it came out, but it's been so long since I heard that song. And since I, since I even remember Green Day, I remember when that song came out. I'm like, yeah, not bad, man. It was solid music, I guess. So, yeah, of course. Yeah, Definitely a throwback and a, another excellent selection by you, Mr. Gardner. Well done. Thank you. Uh, of course, it, it was part of the you know it won, it won Grammys when it first came out, best you know best rock record, best from the best rock album, Ameri- the uh, title after the name of the album. Also became a Tony Award winning Broadway show. Fans probably do not know that. Mm. That's right. And of course, well, it's again from Act Radio, presented by One Eight Hundred Flowers. As fans, it is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, so what better way to get pink flowers, roses, tulips, the whole lot? You can get double the blooms, the same price, just thirty nine ninety nine at One Eight Hundred Flowers dot com. And there you go. Mention us too, maybe it'll we'll sweeten the deal. But uh, before yeah. we roll into some more ish news. It's time for a little history lesson. With sports and history, I'm Eileen Ehrlich. On October 1st, 1932, the New York Yankees played Game 3 of the World Series against the Chicago Cubs at Wrigley Field. In the fifth inning, Babe Ruth walked up to the plate and hit his infamous called shot. Charlie Root was on the mound for the Cubs, and the crowd was getting rowdy. Despite the inability for anyone to hear him, Ruth yelled at them between pitches. After the first two strikes, they only got louder. He put his arm out, and while some, like Cubs catcher Gabby Harnett, say he was gesturing towards the Cubs dugout, others say he was pointing towards the bleachers where he hit the next pitch. Some reporters went with the story of the called shot, and Ruth rode the wave that was given to him by the media outlets. Where he pointed remains unclear, despite video and photographic evidence, The world will never know what really happened. But like they said in the Sandlot, heroes get remembered, but legends never die. The story is a stroke of the painting of the legend of Babe Ruth. And in the cases like this, some questions are best left unanswered. So there you go. History lesson thanks to uh, Tylene Ehrlich of uh, Sports in History. As uh, this week was the anniversary of the called shot by the great... Bam Bino. Speaking Ooh. of Yankees, our recently beloved Yankee, now retired, Derek Jeter, making yep. an interesting uh, venture, launching a digital media startup for pro athletes to post, quote, unfiltered content. Flow, is this a risk or potentially big bucks for a business adventure? Well, it's I kind of have mixed feelings on it. First off, it, I find it a little ironic, actually more than a little ironic, that Jeter, who was known for being very tight-lipped and he was not very, uh, he wouldn't have really opened up with the media, and that's you know that's been known, that's been his thing. He would he was not big about being in the tabloids and all that, and he never really opened up about himself. I find it ironic that after he retires, he's now going to start a website that allows players to directly open up when he never really did that. So I do find that. Uh, a little interesting, but I do think it also it is an interesting concept. It's uh, I think it uh, it'll be unique for athletes. So so many times for them that you know get their voice stuck 
they have to go to somebody in the media. And I think it will be interesting for some athletes because you do see some of this, but not in a whole lot, not necessarily always directly from the athletes themselves, where they come out and they provide their takes on issues, which uh, I think would be interesting. You know, you saw a lot of takes about Roger Goodell, uh, Ray Rice uh, from other players. And usually, but a lot of that was combined to often guys on Twitter. And here, of course, on Twitter are limited by the 140 characters. So I think this is an interesting move. Uh, Derek Jeter, uh, presumably a smart guy. Uh, You know, he's made a lot of money. He has that epic house that once almost had a moat around it. But uh, this will be, uh, I think, an interesting venture. So it's a little odd that he's partaking in it. But, hey, you know, if he rakes in the cash from it, then we're there. It's it's a very it's a big risk reward. I like his I like the idea how he, he basically eliminates the middleman and you know he mm-hmm. I mean, he has got so much credibility and clout that he is could probably get anyone any athlete he wants on this site. Although there could, this is when journalists and media members like us are just chomping at the bit, you know, salivating at the fact that these guys are going to rant. So that is where the the, the bad side of it could come out because you could see players just bashing owners or ripping on, you know, have with starting beef with random opponents or mm-hmm. or say or I guess running their mouth too much to the fact cuz we've seen that on, you know, on Twitter especially, especially when uh the Michael Sam, Jason Collins thing came out. A lot of players like Mike Wallace of the Miami Dolphins got fined for expressing his opinions on Twitter and then with the Ray Rice issue with all the domestic violence, you're seeing a lot of athletes sort of hide back to try to not get in trouble. So with, with uh, what Jeter is essentially doing is he's letting you know people that have free reign, and of course media members are going to see this and think this is great. You know, since they don't explain the full details to us, because on one hand you get great stories from that. That's very, you know the bullying in the locker room, the great days of uncovering the dirt of what really goes behind closed doors. So I thought with Richie and Jonathan Martin, of course it didn't end up well. But you know, the story was out there, and but it also could make for for bad stories. As I mentioned, you know, beef with ownership, possible fights, or or just random stuff that a lot of people just really had no, uh, no concern with. Moving forward with our with uh, with our headlines, because we have no guests today, because we're chock full of headlines. Michael Ooh. Phelps sticking with the Beltway. Phelps uh, <laughs> had a DUI. What do you make of all this flow? He blew a point one four, almost double the limit in Maryland. Yeah, that is the fact that that's really dangerous to have that high of a uh, alcohol limit and then to be behind the wheel of an automobile. You know, Michael Phelps, he's trying to go about making his comeback, and then he comes out and he does something stupid like drive drunk. So I think that, you know, so many people thought, you know, he was done and now he's coming back. And so this, this whole thing, it's just so bizarre. And, you know, drinking and driving, as we all know, and I hate to be, you know, somebody on his high horse, but, you know, drinking and driving is something that is just stupid. So in the fact that he pulled a point one four, I mean, I want to know what the hell he was drinking. But, uh, you know, definitely, definitely the dumb move on his part. What happens to him now, this is his second offense in eight years. If you're a sponsor, and he's 29 years old, he's trying to gear up for Rio 2016. 
does this uh, dampen his cause, or is it sort of just a sl- another slap on the wrist? Uh, I think it, it's definitely going to be an interesting uh, how it, that plays out. I think you'll see, you know, you could see a lot of the sponsors start dropping him if they haven't already. Uh, that you know, the U.S. and uh, uh, U.S. athletics will not, and U.S. swim the swim team will not promote him as much, considering he has all this baggage. I don't know if they'll end up playing for the team, but I think, you know, it, it could be, it'll be interesting to see if, if he's borderline to even make the team, if something like this, this baggage could potentially hold him back while uh, somebody else who doesn't have this baggage may be propelled forward. So it, it, it'll certainly be uh, interesting to see how this uh, goes about going forward. I'm surprised, you know, in terms of sponsorship, I'm curious to see uh, who sponsors Phelps going forward because we've mentioned, you know, guys like Apollo Ono, you know, are still connected with Subway even though years after he's done as an Olympic athlete. Considering he's the most uh-huh. decorated Olympian of all time, at least or at least in uh, best swimmer of all time, it's 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 tough because you know if you're someone like Speedo or uh, or Subway, yeah, I mean this this is an issue that you know you don't want to have someone who's frequently driving drunk, swerving on the beltway, going <laughs> to the Fort McHenry tunnel. But at the That's same right. time you don't want to you don't want to lose one of the greatest Olympians of all time as your spokesman. Now he had the the first issue when he was nineteen, he got eighteen months probation. Which I'm assuming is what's gonna happen. He's gonna get probation. He's gonna lay low because luckily he is in a sport that does not get constant round the clock coverage, say if he'd play at the mm-hmm. NFL or as a baseball player. Or an NASCAR driver, for that matter. In fact, Tony Stewart was out of the car, and he was still a topic of conversation for several weeks. And he's—I think he can sort of slide under the radar because he did that with the bong issue. He was smoking—he was smoking weed legally in a in a country that allowed him to do that. Of course, the pictures leaked. Parents were upset, trying to explain to their kid, "Oh, your role model is you know getting high high on Mary Jane, smoking a bong, which is now all over the internet." And he came back fine. I think he fairly well at the London Olympics, if I'm not mistaken. The only problem with him, though, and of course, as we saw, this could be interesting because he'll go, he'll you know, just he'll take this, he'll swim a couple of Grand Prix or World Cups or World Championships, maybe make Rio because he's in a sport that the, that youth really takes over, especially with a four-year cycle. Of course, when he came out of retirement and just dominated those first few races he was a part of. It was like, oh, this guy's not finished yet. He still has potential to win gold medals. Now, you know, if, if something like this happened again, I think he'd be done. But considering his his stature in American sports, he'll be just fine. But another interesting question, staying on the topic of USA sports, is the whole Hope Solo thing. Because you know, she's involved in their second domestic violence charge, and the U.S. women's national team is fully backing her which some were saying, rumors said, that they let it slide because they wanted her to break the record for the most, for the most shutouts by a United States goalkeeper, which could be very interesting if that's sort of that team political issue. But the fact that our national teams don't really do anything like this, which is very interesting, is with the Hope Solo thing, there was an article in USA, a commentary in USA Today saying, had that had been someone like Tim Howard getting involved with this scuffle, He'd immediately be off the team, so it's it's very interesting when you look at 
uh, burning a candle at both ends in this situation. Moving forward, speaking of, speaking of the Olympic Games flow, uh, Associated Press article says that apparently the, 2000, the 2022 Winter Olympics, the two countries it is going down for, is China and Kazakhstan, which both have human rights crises and <laughs> notorious air pollution. Flo, has all sanctions run by Europe, FIFA, and the IOC just gone to the dogs? I think especially, I think, yes, there's a lot of issues now. I think now people are realizing that the, at the, the way people are building, you know, these venues and stuff, they're taking on an enormous amount of cost. They're, they, As you saw in Brazil, there are a lot of places where schools were being funny, yet they can build these massive, you know, venues for the uh, football. And uh, but and I think you're starting to see a lot of these cases. These buildings become white elephants. They don't get used, and then you have to you have to either pay to maintain them or they just become you know a complete mess. You look at some of the venues used in Athens because so many venues their only use is during the Olympics. I mean you know so many other things. I mean London in 2012 had it right. They had they were fortunate that they had a lot of venues already built. And then virtually everything else was going to be downsized. It was basically just temporary venues. And even you're already looking at Sochi. It was like several months ago. And now the place already looks like, you know, like a, like a, like a, you know, like a ghost town. So I think if you look how the process is, the U.S. has been hesitant with it because they feel that there's some bias, which there probably is from the IOC. And now other countries are like, it just isn't worth the cost for this short amount of time for what these venues are not going to be worth. So I think you're going to start to see pushback until things change. Yeah, it's interesting some of the selection of countries. And it only started when, at the turn of the 20th century, turn, turn of the 21st century. You never saw stuff like this back in like the 70s and 80s, even the 90s. Mm-hmm. The fact that the World Cup is trying, they're still, they're still trying to go after Qatar is, is baffling. <laughs> and the fact that they want to put the Olympics, you know, back in China when they already had it in 2008, or Kazakhstan, which has very little infrastructure and is still, you know, trying to pull themselves from their bootstraps from the days of the Soviet Union, it makes no sense. I've lost all faith in those kind of sports. But and of course, but, but then again, that's why we just have the radio show. All right, all right, man. Uh, long, long, long anticipated, but it's back for the first time, I believe, a couple of months. The FRPD is back on the case with another uh, tasty episode of Good Cop, Bad Cop. We'll take a look at some cases and try to plead it as our first one flow is Steve Smith of the Baltimore Ravens, former Carolina Panther, went into went uh, played against his old team last week, single-handedly had one of the best games of his career. And then a couple of days later, blasts former general man or blasts his former general manager David Gettleman during a radio interview on Wednesday, saying uh, it was personal, and uh, he has got some uh, some beef now with uh, with the high brass of the Carolina Panthers. Is he uh, in the right of saying this, or is he just a guy with Steve Smith SR on the back of his jersey that just needs to play out his career and retire? I think that uh, Steve Smith, A, as we've uh, and you, you're going to read about it, Steve Smith, 
Steve Smith is never a guy, kind of like the Wu-Tang Clan. You never want to mess with them. Of course, there's a different word there. But, and Steve Smith always had, plays with a lot of edge. He's an angry player, and he's, and he's had a tremendous career. He has said, he had said, yeah, I was going to play one more year and retire, and I wanted to go out with the Panthers. But the Panthers cut him, and now they have one wide receiver and nothing else. So it's gonna be, it was going to be fun to watch him go and play Carolina again. Then they got the, you know, the Ravens smashed the Panthers. And now he's, I, he's given the right to talk some smack, I think, against the franchise who clearly didn't think they had anything left. They don't want to pay him. and But they ran the risk of him going somewhere and then beating him, you know, coming back and beating him back. This is nothing new from Steve Fitz, although now the added dimension that he's playing his former team. So I love it for the most part. He can go a little overboard. For the most part, I endure I can't stand it. I can't stand guys like this. First of all, an NFL career is not that long, so he needs to you know, hold on to the precious talent that he has and try not to stretch it out too far. When players do this, some players take it very take it very personally. When Tom Brady said it the best uh, when a radio station in Boston asked him would he like to finish his career as a Patriot, and he was saying, or what his thoughts when they you know cut players that he you know, was, was was very close to. And he says it's a business. Because at the end of the day, it is a business. And Steve Smith is an employee in that business. Now, he has appeared in one Super Bowl and does not have as many records as wide receivers, uh, I guess, that he was sort of compared to coming up in the league, like Terrell Owens and Randy Moss. So, And he's on a Ravens team that is frankly doing very well amidst of what has all just happened this past offseason. Meanwhile, the Carolina Panthers also started off great behind Scam Newton, but he mm-hmm. needs he needs to just be quiet at least until about <laughs> midway in the season because the way he just takes shots and then at the beginning of the season he was saying when they play Carolina there will be blood. It's like okay, this this isn't you know a Quentin Tarantino movie. It's just the NFL. So no, he needs to calm down. Our next case: Tom Brady went on um. Went on Boston radio station saying he lacks offensive weapons after the Monday night football pounding, losing 41-14 against the Kansas City Chiefs. Flow too early in the season to uh, have the golden boy concerned about his offense? Uh, no, because they looked at, against your Chiefs. Uh, they look incredibly bad. The problem with this Patriots team is that with their offense, it's, it's all together. And Brady... You know, he, he, I, I've always given him credit because he has never stayed for the undefeated year, had the kind of supporting cast that, like, a Peyton Manning did. You look at that 2001 team, that team was not that good. You're telling me, you look at that roster, and you tell me that's a Super Bowl team. Yeah, but he did that. He came out of nowhere to do it. But the offensive line, when they traded the Logan Man, because, yes, he gave us a lot of sex last year, but – the offensive line's been dreadful. They can't run the ball. The wide receivers aren't imposing at all. And but here's the thing that Brady has to realize: he's been awful. He he has been terrible this year. So I think that Brady is right, but he also has to take it on himself. And I think the Patriots have a lot of reasons to panic. This could finally be the year where this impressive, this incredible run the Patriots had is just being a strong team always in the hunt to get to the Super Bowl, they and, and not even in a good division, they're in serious trouble. 
Yeah, of course, did have, have, they have gotten wins in the games they should have won. Of course, the fact that their first loss was the first game of the season against the Dolphins, who, as uh, Ryan Tannehill says, making strides. Of course, I mean, come on, anyone can make strides playing in London against the Oakland Raiders. But whatever, let bygones be bygones. And the second one, to be fair, he went into a very hostile Airhead Stadium, which I believe broke the record for the loudest, or, loudest arena, uh, loudest game. So congrats to the Chiefs on that. Very loud. And Monday Night Football, coming off a win against the Raiders. I mean, maybe he was taking it easy. This uh, this Sunday Night Football game coming up this week should be very interesting, though, against the, uh, the Cincinnati Bungles. Because the ba- the Bengals, uh, as you said, Flo, have been very good. Well, Andy Dalton is, is you know got a contract extension. He's come out of the gates guns a blazing, and then the Chiefs hit the two, uh, you know two important games. It's like for every good games that they play, for, for every tough game they play, they have some cupcakes. So they have the Bengals, but then they have the Bills and the Jets, who have looked woeful watching those two teams play on TV. Well, both have been good. Their problems have been they've had bad quarterback play, but I I think you're wrong. The Buffalo the Jets aren't good. But I think Buffalo yeah. is actually not bad. They've just had bad quarterback issues. Because those are big games. Those are division games. And then, and then of course, the true test, which we can see from Brady and how, how what Bill Belichick can do with this offense to try to click around midseason stride. In between the bye weeks, they play the Bears, Denver. Then after the bye, they play at Indianapolis and the Detroit Lions. And then your pack in Lambeau. So they have yep. a very tough schedule. So... I'll take good cop and say Brady should not worry. Every good quarterback has their down year. This is not the end of the dynasty because football, this team has just been looking at Josh McDaniel as a try to find a new offensive coordinator. Mix something up. Because the running backs, they have running backs that are new. They always find a way to win. They take, you know, and in you know, no names, Danny Woodhead, and find a way to win. So they shouldn't worry. Kate is our good friend, Mr. Caddy, Steve Williams, who says he would consider, uh, considering retiring, but before could, quote, consider reunion with Tiger Woods. Flo, Tiger has not won a major since the Stone Age, and these two have had beef, one of the reasons why Williams left, and went off to win the Masters with Adam Scott. Would you uh, be sympathetic or not be sympathetic for Steve Williams' Tiger reunion? Uh... I wouldn't be very sympathetic, or uh, I don't really know if this is going to happen. Because as you mentioned, there was this B. So, and Caddies is usually a full-time job. I, I, I mean, you know, I could be wrong, but I don't really see that many like part-time Caddies. Plus, he thinks Tiger Tiger's going to become like a part-time player instead of you know playing at like a pace that he has. You know, he's going to hurt. So, I don't know if this is really going to happen. I think that this is Williams like throwing something. At- this is, you know what it reminds me of? When Shaq and Kobe, like when Shaq did the uh, Jabberwockies dance at the All-Star game and they were all, uh, Shaq and Kobe were loving each other and they were like, oh, in that All-Star game. It was like, oh, is Shaq and Kobe ever going to play again? And everyone was like, no, that's never going to happen. And then I, I, I don't see this happening either. I think that, you know, they definitely had the deep. And I don't know if either of them, it sounds like maybe Williams has to try to put away, but I don't know if Tiger's going to be that guy to let him. It's like one of those, those you know, sappy docky soaps where it's like, you know, you know, because Williams went on the record and said, you know, time he believes that time heals all, 
Uh, I was very hurt. And after watching Tiger Woods fall from grace and, and struggle, I think he's feeling very sympathetic. I don't care because I don't think Tiger Woods will ever win a major. I think all hail Roy McIlroy. After watching the, the woeful performance by USA Golf at the Ryder Cup, I realized that all hope is lost for Team USA, which is another interesting story that we could get to later in the show. But regardless, I think it wouldn't matter. I don't think him coming back would help Tiger Woods win because Tiger Woods is, is still you know coming off surgeries and is you know, having just bones break right and left. I wouldn't care. I think it's nice that these guys are willing to, you know, as, as your girl Katy Perry once said, you know, fight, we break up, we kiss, we make up. And sometimes you're hot and cold and yes and no. There and you go. And she's going to be on game day this Saturday. Yes! Of course, our, our final <laughs> uh, f- final FRPD issue before we uh, we get to the college football. Flo, they are making, rumors are they are making a movie about the famous <laughs> iPhone app Angry Birds. And looking at the cast, it is basically everyone from you know, Saturday Night Live, you got Jason Sudeikis as the Redbird, and then you got Danny McBride as the Bomb Blackbird. Flo, what are your thoughts on an iPhone app turning into a full-length movie? I, it just sounds so ridiculous. Well, first off, I've never played, uh, I've never actually played Angry Birds, so I can't attest to really what the game is. I, I kind of have a vague understanding, and but I mean, you know, there's, there's, there's like that we they've made a movie out of board games. Remember they made the Battleship movie. The only Jumanji, to the, yeah, Jumanji. Uh, but uh, you know, with Battleship, the only connection it was was that when there was an epic fight scene. We, you know, because I remember there were no aliens in the freaking board game. I mean, come on. The only connection was that when they looked up ahead. And apparently it was like some epic shield like over the whole thing. And it kind of looked like the game with, the, you know, having your A1 and stuff like that. So, but, I mean, the, the, I, mean I, I don't know how they carved out. I mean, Hollywood's just such a mess. They're so unoriginal with their <laughs> ideas these days. They're remaking everything. And how they're making a movie not even out of a video game, which they've never been able to do. They're making it out of an iPhone game. I mean, this is... I mean, I like the people in the cast, what it looks like, you know, Sudeikis, uh, McBride, Peter Dink, but for me, well, come on, what is this? <laughs> I think it's a great idea, because I think this is the one thing you could actually get. It. I mean, movies like this are only funny because of the people that are in it, and I mean, you you, you go as you know, as far as as the guys from Key and Peele in this movie, uh, yes. Maya Rudolph, who was hilarious in Bridesmaids, Danny McBride, who was one of my favorite guys, <laughs> famously from East Bound and Down. And yes. Jason Sudeikis, who is always hilarious, featured also in uh, the uh, the Grand Theft Auto video games for the uh, the conservative talk show, and I think it's GTA Four. I think stuff like this yes, is funny. That's right. I think stuff like this is funny. I have no. Like I said you, you have no idea. Basically, the concept of the game is there's different colored birds that you launch to destroy little like makeshift castles made by these pig characters, and and that's it. Now, the only difference with Angry Birds is they've come out... The guy who invented it is some Swedish guy. They've come out and invented a like million ways to play this game. There's you know seasonal games like Halloween and Christmas episodes. They did a thing about Star Wars. They did a thing about it in space. And I don't know how they can make a movie about it. I don't know what the plot would be. I don't know <laughs> what what like the message that it could be sent to be sending uh, to kids... 
But that's the society we live in, Flo. Kids of the younger generation, <laughs> like you said, no creativity. As I ranted on Twitter the other day, they made a movie about a Ouija board. <laughs> so, we love I mean, Ouija I don't boards. care. I don't care. This is a movie I won't see in theaters, but maybe I'll see, you know, later. Comes out July first, two thousand sixteen. If anyone from High Brass at Columbia Pictures is listening, they could uh, give us some free stuff for plugging their movie. But uh, enough. That is enough. So back to uh, Flo's girl, Katy Perry. College football is this week, as it is every week. And finally, we get a weekend of some fantastic marquee matchups. After the uh, the questionable Saturday that I spent watching the ranching every ranked team in the top ten win. This, on the other hand, Flo, we get into conference play, and this is where the Giants may fall. First game on Saturday, AM and Mississippi State. Now, Texas A&M with Kenny Hill looked pretty bad against an Arkansas team that they had to barely beat in overtime. Mm-hmm. Uh, buying or selling that A&M could actually win a key game on the road. You know, I I think this is a good A&M team. They're better than I thought it would be because Kenny Hill for them has been awesome. He's been a revelation for them. But I really, I'm really liking what I'm seeing out of this uh, this Bulldogs team from Mississippi State. This is a, is a huge day in the Magnolia State with Ole Miss hosting Alabama as well. But I I like it a lot, and I think that you know what's really impressive is that they not only went into Death Valley and won, they went into Death Valley at night at one. Of course, they almost kind of blew the game at the end, but they still went in. They pounded LSU until late. At night, they always say that Death Valley is so tough to play in when they're playing at night and the place is absolutely rocky. And Mississippi State went in and laid some smackdown on that. I like Mississippi State to get a big statement win for them and, uh, you know, get a nice uh, nice hide for their own resume and what's been a, 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 even stronger than normal SEC West. Yeah, we talked on our Fanatic Radio college football preview show that there would be very few teams in the SEC that would do well, at least do great. Mississippi State has a chance that they beat Texas A&M. They could jump to the top ten for the first time in a long time. Now, we've already seen 24-point uh, underdogs, Arizona win in the outset and beat Oregon. Now, that that was absurd watching that game on Thursday night. So that that's already one ranked team that, is, that has fallen. Second big key matchup, as Flo mentioned, game day will be there as well. Number three, Alabama, at number 11, Ole Miss on CBS. Vern, Gary Danielson, bringing us the magic from the SEC as always. Is this a chance yep. for uh, that Ole Miss win? Are they for real? Or are they just going to get destroyed by the Tide? Uh, I think it's, it's another big statement game for them. I don't love them. Uh, I don't think they're as great as they've they've looked thus far. I think they're going to lose. I don't think they're going to get drilled. I don't think they're going to lose by like 30 or anything. But I think it's going to be a two-touchdown game. I like Bo Wallace. I like Hugh Freeze a lot. But I just don't think they have the horses with Alabama. Who, Alabama has looked tremendous offensively this year. And I I think Alabama could go into Oxford. You know, there's game day going to be a lot of hype. And I think they're going to start fast. And they're going to finish fast. And I think they're going to get a solid, comfortable, but not a demolition victory. Uh, get the look. Ole Miss is number 11, number 10 in some polls, because if you look at the teams they've played, Boise State is the only tough team they've played. They've played cupcakes. They've had one, they're like Baylor. They've had one of the worst strengths of schedules, and it all comes to a screeching halt. I think Alabama will win by about three touchdowns. I, don't think Ole, I think the only reason why Ole Miss could is they run that, that, that fast spread attack, much like what Baylor does. 
course, mm-hmm. they have a very tough game coming up as well. So I think Alabama will have better defense to contain because as fast as Ole Miss's receiving core is, Alabama's secondary is just as fast. On offensively, they've they've done very well, and Lane Kiffin must be doing something that works, which now goes to uh, Baylor in Texas. At Texas in Austin, does Baylor lose their first game of the season? Uh, I don't think they will because I think the Texas team really isn't good. Uh, Charlie Strong, it's going to be a couple years until he gets it back to be a national power. They threw a lot of guys off the team. They were rebuilding the culture in Austin after things got a little stale and some thought a little soft under Mac Brown. But this Texas team, they just don't have the horses that Baylor does, even if it is in Austin. It is they've always dominated the Bears. But I think Baylor's going to win this one. I think they're going to win this one big. I just, this Texas team, I don't think is that good. And the offense for Baylor is as strong as always. All right, number 14, Stanford at number 9, Notre Dame. The Gold Domers did a great job in the Meadowlands fending off a Syracuse team. Now, they faced their first ranked opponent of the season. This game's on NBC, 330 Eastern. Does Notre Dame keep their sort of dream season, uh, their their, uh, rejuvenated season under um, Everett Goldston? Uh, I think so. I like what Notre Dame has done this year. and We saw they had the big stand when against Michigan when they crushed them. That sent Michigan into an absolute tailspin. They've been a train wreck. But Everett Goldson's been huge for them this year. He's been tremendous. Brian Kelly's a strong coach. They're at home. And while the Stanford defense is very strong, their offense just hasn't really gotten it going. So I, I'm thinking against Stanford again. This is like the third time this year I've already picked against Stanford. But I like Notre Dame at home. Yeah, they look good against Syracuse. Of course, Syracuse is, you know, by no stretch of the imagination, a, a BC or a playoff team. But Stanford has looked very weak. You know, they almost lost to Washington. They lost to USC, who's done awful this year. Notre Dame, though, this is a statement win or a good, very good resume win for the uh, the high brass and the selection committee because we have one of those things now. So I can see Notre Dame win. They they look good and at home, which helps because Stanford. It almost seems like Stanford just doesn't want to make the playoff. Which it could be interesting because if Stanford wins, yeah, they control a solid destiny up with um, UCLA for a king of the Pac-12. Now that Oregon's lost, another big mm-hmm. rank matchup, and this is when we've seen a team that has been that we thought at the beginning of the year was overrated. LSU at Auburn, Auburn number five with uh, the Mike Dicka impersonator Gus Malzahn. Yeah, uh, Auburn for real. <laughs> the, the, do they get the job done and uh, keep their season alive? You know, Auburn had a very impressive win last week on the Thursday in Manhattan, Kansas, when I picked Kansas State to win. I And I think he's going to make a case that LSU, even with all the talent, with Fournette and quarterback and Les Miles doing his thing, they even make a case that they're in, you know, in the SEC West, uh, that they could be the weakest team in that, league, in that division. But that said, Les Miles always has something up his sleeve. I'm taking LSU to go into Jordan Hare. Get the big win. Bold, and we like it. You're going to learn today. You're going to learn today. And our big ranked on ranked matchup uh, is tonight, or uh, Saturday night, ABC. Number 19, Nebraska. Number 10, Michigan State. Nebraska, a team with a resurgence of a team that has been slowly getting its feet wet in the Big Ten. And after watching the Ohio State and Michigan struggle, is and Michigan State, their only loss has been against a very good Oregon team. 
Michigan State get it done and continue their uh, dominance in the Big Ten? You know, but just just on a general note, thank thank the Lord that we have a great Saturday cooked up because the last several weeks we've had some terrible weeks and yeah. some terrible games. So I'm very happy that this week, especially conference play, is really starting to get underway. That we've got some strong matches. I like Michigan State. You know, this is going to be a team. Michigan State, their defense is good as always, but Carmen Cook has been playing well, and while this Nebraska team can move the ball really well, Abdul has been awesome. I think that Michigan State, their defense will hold them, hold Nebraska up just enough, and I don't think Nebraska is that great defensively to counter on the other end. So I like Michigan State, which should be a good one. And that's big. That's 8 p.m. Eastern at ABC. Michigan State could take uh, the full insurgence as – the, uh, the final statement with um, college football before we move on to the other headlines. Michigan, rumors are that Brady Hoke is on the hot seat after an awful conference loss against Minnesota. And rumors tab that Jim Harbaugh wants, uh, could return to coach his alma mater. And now, of course, after the whole concussion thing with the athletic department completely botching that up. And then we saw you know, a strength and conditioning coach from Ohio State tackle a streaker on the field. Flow this... this, this the Ohio State Michigan, the big game could turn just to be, you know, pride, let alone a chance to go to the, you know, the Big Ten championship game. You know that's right uh, because you know you look at you look at the Big Ten once again. It's a relatively disappointing year, and I think now with Oregon's loss, and now it's going to be Michigan State thing. They had a loss, but they lost at outs and. Too strong Oregon team. Now that Oregon's lost Arizona, Michigan State now has been the you know one of the pro you know the top teams and their defending champs in the Big Ten. They're not looking so great now for the playoff. So, but the Big Ten, you know, in Ohio State, they've played better, but they've also haven't played the great teams of late. And Michigan's been a fiasco. So the Big Ten and a team a lot of people thought could be a single Ten State, they just got pounded. But it was a lot third of all teams. So the Big Ten, the next once again. And so if you look at the big game, you know, it's going to be hyped, you know, with the, you know, all the guys. But with Michigan playing, I look like it's just going to be another beatdown. Yeah, exactly. And it'll be interesting to see uh, we have, if Michigan just tanks the season or not. And, of course, with the, uh, the 49ers scraping by. I'd love to see Harbaugh coach Michigan. I think he's he is probably one of the only guys. That'd be great. Harbaugh versus Urban Meyer for the Ohio State against Michigan, and he could get guys to recruit. He did it with Stanford, and that's why he was in the NFL. Moving to the NFL, some some history can be made uh, this Sunday with the Denver Broncos playing Peyton Manning just a touchdown away from joining your boy Flo Brett Favre in the 500 touchdown club, making him just only the second player to do it. Is he? Right by saying, is he the greatest passing quarterback to ever play the game? You know, uh, I think you make a definitely. There's a significant case because you know he's you know playing in these wide open offenses. He's been able to put up a lot of yards. He did get the Super Bowl win. You know, you can make a you can make a case. It's, it's always as hard to compare guys for like the fifties or the sixties. They played in such a different era. Or even in the 80s, Joe Montana. But I think you look at this guy, and, you know, he's been such an incredible career thus far. That And you know what? He's still going. So it's 
Uh, I don't see it much of an end in the fight, so you can make a case that he's the best, uh, now he's the best in the game. Uh, and I'm going out as one of the best of all time. He's saying he's definitely, he's definitely the best NFL player on the field today. Uh, I do I do hold my hold my breath with that though that Patriot fans would come you know breaking down my door because I do think Tom Brady is just a fantastic quarterback based on Super Bowls. On and then when you look at statistics, you know a lot of it could say Drew Brees, and he's up there as uh-huh. well, three hundred and seventy because you know he's holding you know, the records broke by, set by Dan Marino, set by Johnny Unitas. So you have three, we are we are blessed, Flo. We are blessed. The three fantastic future Hall of Fame quarterbacks are gracing the planet with. Their fantastic right. passing ability. Greatest passing quarterback of all time. I do say that, though. I do love your boy, Brett Favre, who holds many records as well. But I feel like Peyton Manning could break those records. Favre has 508. Manning could easily get that in, like, three games, which is um, which is amazing, <laughs> considering, how one, how old he is, one, how old Peyton Manning is, and, two, every team, both both teams he's played for, he's had sort of like Brady. He's had good players come and go, but he's always made good players around him better. We saw when Manning was with the Colts. They had Marvin Harrison with the young Reggie Wayne, and then when Harrison retired, Reggie Wayne became sort of the point man. And then he had guys like Austin Colley and Pierre Garçon. Then he went to the Broncos and he made Eric Decker and Demarius Thomas fantastic players. Now he's got Wes Welker. Now he's made Julian Thomas and Demarius Thomas all pro wide receiver. And watching Peyton Manning plays is a treat. And I'm mad they lose because this, this is a Broncos team that I'm mad is not going undefeated this year. Thanks a lot, Seattle. Uh. But it's as good Coach John Fox says, it is greatness. When someone reaches that kind of statistic in a career, it's pretty remarkable. That being said, we do love your uh your boy Brett Favre. And Flo, talk about your pack big win against the uh the Minnesota Vikings. Really taking a stranglehold in the uh the NFC North as the only person team they have to sort of worry about is uh the Lions after they beat the Chicago Bears as well. Absolutely. You know, that Bears win on Sunday was huge because the team they really hadn't even looked all that impressive. They were one and two. And the one game against the Jets, the Jets hadn't been that good. They spotted a big early lead to the Jets. And they had to rally late. So, but you talked about the Chicago game where the second game in NFL history where nobody punted because both offenses were just cranking. But then Jay Cutler made some mistakes. And then ultimately the Packers took advantage of. But it was really a fun game to watch, even though the Packers ended up getting a, a solid, an easy win. And then last night, it was helped that, you know, the Vikings were throwing at Christian Ponder, who was atrocious. They couldn't do anything offensively. They turned the ball over, and their defense is still very much a work in progress. So, But you look at this Packers team, I think that now after the tough start, I think now they're back. They've they got his confidence back. It was big for Eddie Lacy to have a big outing last night. And the Demons have shown it can very much make some plays. They've always been a defense that gets after the football and is very aggressive to try to force turnovers. And they've largely been good at it. So I think the Packers now are in very solid shape. The, the Detroit team is looking very strong. And the Demons have been great, which they haven't been. And it's been very inconsistent. So. And I I still kind of like Chicago because their offense is still going to be strong. Forte, Jay Culler, and the wide receivers, and tight end Bennett. The NFC North is going to be uh, is going to be an interesting division the rest of the year. Yeah, we could we could see the NFC champion coming out of that that division because I, I'm I'm, exci- I'm excited for that Detroit uh, Pack matchup. Yeah, you have a very high powered offense that with with Matt with Matt Stafford, you know. 
Megatron, Calvin Johnson, and against against I think one of the best linebacker cores in the NFL. You know, you got AJ Hawk, Clay Matthews. Those guys still play well. And now now you have you know Julius Peppers in the mix and HaHa Clinton Dix. He's done a great job in his rookie season. And of course on the offense, always good with Jordy Nelson. And back of the back of the old pack days when um was it Bubba Bubba Franks was the tight end? Yep, that's right. Yeah, so the pack what? looking very looking very good. And of course, full of final things to end on before we end the show. New uh NASCAR points reset, new round. That's right. <laughs> Who are sort of the the guys on the hot seat? Because we saw they went from sixteen to twelve. Now we go from twelve to eight. Mm-hmm. And and then and, of course the, the last round it ends in Talladega, which is going to be totally totally nuts. And you know it was interesting in that now they've gone from twelve to uh, sixteen to twelve. Was basically a lot of guys said oh, you just had to be consistent and you had to not have bad finishes and run reasonably well to get to this next round. Now you've got it. You that's not acceptable now. Now you have to. Everyone's got to be running strong. Because now it's like the old chase, except that now it's only in three races. So now you have no, and especially you want to be safe going to Talladega, which I did made my projections. And as I noted with the previous round, I got all four drivers that were eliminated correct. Now, I didn't even pick up Chase Driver to win at Talladega. I think it's going to be somebody that's going to come out of nowhere. I think it can very well be a J.B. Mack who's run strong. Maybe like teammate Kyle Larson has been great we talked about last week. But I think the guys that really need to worry this go around, Casey Kane, who hasn't run that well of late, despite that recent win, Newman, who hasn't been that impressive either, uh, uh, Newman, Kane, Carl Edwards doesn't run that great either, and you can see why he wants to go to Gibbs, and Denny Hamlin, who's been a mess and had those issues with the team and the pit crew and Loudon. So I think that those are the four guys and now the pressure is really on, and the chase is in full stop. Yeah, this is where you'll see guys take a lot more risks, especially those four you mentioned. They'll try to go out and prove a point. But of course, mm-hmm. it's the Hollywood, uh, the Hollywood uh, Casino 400 this Sunday in Kansas. The place where uh, Jeff Gordon, <laughs> who won last week, won in May. And we saw Kevin Harvick run well. The Fords have looked well. So it should be interesting. Uh, of course, that'll do it for Fnatic Radio. Check the podcast on iTunes, b 360 and Blog Talk Radio, listen to Flo and I break down the MLB postseason. Good cop, bad cop. Thoughts on Michael Phelps, don't drink and drive. Next week, we break down Lynn Dobbins' <laughs> final game as a U.S. men's national team player. And we celebrate Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s 40th birthday bash in style. Who knows? We might even be doing the show live from Charlotte, which is where that race will be. And that will be the craziest 40th birthday ever. But, of course, for all Absolutely. of us, the notorious Ben Florence, I'm Mike Gardner. Check us out on Fanatic Radio. Remember, in this crazy world of sports, we're not crazy. We're just fanatics. See you next week, ladies and gentlemen.